My spirit rejoices in the, my Lord, and my soul magnifies him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Divorce is always a little stressful. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's even violent. And it always leaves behind in its wake certain prejudices and scars and wounds. This is certainly true of the great divorce of the 16th century. We call it the Reformation. Now, many Europeans in the North left the Roman Catholic Church, and those in the South remained. The Northerners got custody of St. Paul, and the Southerners got a hold of St. Mary the Virgin. Now, I have spent no little part of my ministry trying to readjust that balance. At least I've tried to get equal visitation rights and let the Romans have St. Paul for a while when he gets cranky. <laughs> I uh, spent a lot of time trying to readjust that balance. Of course, I stirred up a little anxiety among my parishioners. It must be admitted, I think, that people in Protestant pews and even in our seminaries are somewhat uncomfortable in giving Mary a place in their spiritual lives and their worship. Now, for many people, Mary makes her appearance yearly at the Christmas pageant, where she sits on a little stool in a long dress with a veil over her head holding a doll. She says nothing, and she does nothing. Now, I have sat through many such pageants, but one sticks in my mind very acutely. It happened in this church and in front of that altar. Uh, the little girl came out and sat on her bench, and she was holding a large doll, much too big for a newborn child, and she was holding it even somewhat awkwardly by its feet. And its, <laughs> and its head was sort of coming down, and the doll had a beautiful face on it. And as I was watching it, it suddenly started to move and wiggle. And I said, my God, a miracle on 16th and Central. <laughs> well, alas, it wasn't a miracle. It happened to be the infant son of the organist. I accused uh, its father of uh, putting, spiking its formula with his dry martinis to keep it quiet. But alas, he didn't, and at least Gastineau didn't make it wrap it up in swaddling clothes. But at any rate, I want to introduce you to my old parishioner, Joe Riley. Joe was a dour and humorless man. He many times wanted to run on the vestry and never got elected. The Russians aren't the only people that meddle in elections. I mean. <laughs> But at any rate, Joe was an usher, the last person you'd want an usher in your church, but Joe was an usher. And he particularly always wanted to be on on Christmas Eve. Well, suddenly, you know, he was different on Christmas Eve. He was friendly, he was jovial, he was even helpful. 
And I, uh, I don't know whether it was the spirit of Christmas or the spirits he encountered before a dinner, but there it was. At any rate, I can't tell you that it was because of any devotion he had to the Blessed Virgin Mary, because he didn't. Joe was born in Ireland. He was baptized and confirmed in the Church of Ireland, which is the most Protestant of the Anglican churches. When Our Lady, carved in wood, made her appearance in our chapel, surrounded by votive candles and flowers, Riley huffed and puffed to blow the house down, but we withstood his threats one way or another. And later on, when he calmed down, I would give him a shot now and then. I said, Joe, you just can't let the woman stay in a stable all year round. I said, at least you can give her a chair to sit on. I meant throne, but I said chair. But I said, after all, she was at his first miracle at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. She followed him to Jerusalem. She was at his side when he died. She was there at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit inspired and ignited his disciples to begin the mission of the church. I will not pray to her, Father Stickway, Joe said. I said, well, she's probably thankful you don't, Joe. <laughs> but at least you can talk to her now and then. I said, it's more importantly to talk to God and his saints about things than to pray for them anyway. Now, I never made much progress with Joe Riley. But I have no doubt that the Queen of Heaven made allowances for his old prejudices, which really, in the end, did not amount to very much, and not to me, nor to him, nor even to her, I dare say. But aside from those old prejudices that Protestants have against Mary to sort of protect the place of her son in the role of our salvation, there is, I fear, a more modern disservice to the mother of our Lord. There is a negative reaction which sees her simply as a silent, obedient, subversive, submissive tool that God used for his purpose. And then that the church has used her as a model of submission and obedience to its authority. But was her obedience to Gabriel's message any more or any less than her son's obedience to God's will in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his betrayal? She says, be it unto me according to thy will and he says, not thy will, but not my will, but thine be done. The mother and the son echo the same response to God's invitation, and their assent, their consent to the incarnation are necessary in God's plan for our salvation. 
So when I told Joe Riley, talk to Mary, he said to me, but she's dead, Father. I said, that's part of the point, Joe. She grew old. She grew gray. Maybe her bones ached. Maybe the memory of those five joyful mysteries that surrounded her early life even faded from her memory. She just didn't stay in the stable. She grew old and she died. In August the 15th, we acknowledged that fact. She died, Joe, but she isn't dead. Focus on what great artists have made, uh, have been inspired by her and what they made through her. Open a book of Raphael and look at the Madonnas he painted. Joe, she's not dead. Look at the statue carved by Michelangelo of the mother holding her son in the hour of his death. Joe, she's not dead. Listen to the music of Monteverde. She isn't dead. Go to Chartres, see the cathedral and the glass erected in honor of her assumption, and you tell me she's dead? She has inspired the noblest feelings and aspirations of the human race. And she touches our imagination of life's passions and its joys. There is about her gospel story contained in the gospels a sense of courageous determination to be there for him. And that adds a deep richness to any account of his earthly life. And I tell you that as she was there for him, she is here for us. And our worship and our lives are enriched not by revising old prayer books, let me tell you, but by the friends we have in earth, the friends in front of you and behind you in your pews, and by the friends we have in heaven. And the festivals and anniversaries that we keep in their honor. And then in that vast communion of saints, Mary, the mother of God, sings, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices. And she magnifies not only her Lord, but our charity, our gentleness, our sense of brotherhood with each other, and our joys. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.